Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new edition of Hue at Home. I'm here back in the Hue studio. It feels good to be back. And I want to introduce you to a very special woman, Chelsea Grove, who's going to share her incredible journey. And I say incredible because, Chelsea, it is in a lot of probably negative ways, but also incredible in a lot of positive ways. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start the show off introducing yourself and sharing your story, I guess, a little bit of Chelsea in the past and to where you are today. Okay. Um, I'm Chelsea Grove, 37-year-old mother of two. Um, I have a 16-year-old son and a 4-year-old daughter. Um, I chose to make this podcast um, for two reasons. One, I have, some, I have lived experience with the issues that I'm going to talk about on it. And trying to figure out how to get out of those situations was, and all the barriers that I had to face to do that mm -hmm. was also a struggle. And because of my background in education, like I kind of knew how to navigate social services or social justice. And had I not had those tools, like I don't know if I would have came out of that alive, <laughs> to be really <laughs> honest. <laughs> so let's start with your story, though, um, addicted to painkillers. But then on the positive end of it, you've got degrees, you're well educated. How did you manage to f get into that deep, dark hole? Um, it probably started about seven years ago. I was actually in recovery before. I used to like to party and drink and I would do like weekend party drugs. And my nephew had died from an overdose 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so at that time I, t I thought like drinking and doing illicit drugs like cocaine was the answer to what I was feeling. And I, I couldn't drink enough and I couldn't do enough drugs. And I really just wanted to die. And um, after about a year, it, it wasn't working anymore, so I I started going to like 12-step uh, meetings. Mm -hmm. So I managed to stay sober for seven years, but about four and a half years in. Um, prior to that, I have a architectural engineering technology diploma from Red River, and I had been working in that job. So when I had started these 12-step meetings, you learn how who you are, what you like, and I didn't like that job. <laughs> so <laughs> I went back to university and I got a degree in criminal justice and psychology. So at the day that I graduated from university, I was sexually assaulted by someone who was supposed to be my friend. And it took two and a half years before any relapse happened, but I couldn't accept like what happened to me that day. So fast forwarding a couple of years when I met my daughter's father, um, we had relationship problems, and I was still attending meetings. I was even running meetings, those kind of things. And uh, some things had happened in our lives, and we had a social. And when I got home, we had stolen all our kids' money, and um, I picked up that day. <laughs> so, and then I didn't use again until his mom died. And I guess the whole time I was waiting for someone to give me permission mm -hmm. to just go ahead. And, uh, and he didn't really know anything about addiction and recovery. And he was the one that gave me permission. And I, from there, kind of started partying. And then I got pregnant with my daughter. And so the day she was born was the day I released my trailer for my podcast, October 13th. 
and my doctor had made a mistake. He was teaching resident doctors how to deliver babies and he left her placenta inside me. And so three weeks later I hemorrhaged and he happened to be the doctor on call at the hospital. But they let me sit there for four hours hemorrhaging in the waiting room and they took me in, did the DNC and he had cut me. And so I was hemorrhaged again, <laughs> hemorrhaged to death in the maternity ward. And um, so from there I was like, had baby blues, which turned into postpartum. I was anemic uh, with a baby. And then I found out my spouse was seeing other women. So that was <laughs> not easy. And um, I just went into like, like, a, like a real clinical depression. And once I found out like he was actually with somebody else behind my back, trying to tell me that obviously he wasn't, um, when he would have the baby, I would go and I'd party with my friends so on, the, on the sly, <laughs> thinking like, cause he would disappear for days. So uh, like, I, it was just like, well, that'd be nice. And I thought like in some sick way, like I'm like, I'm gonna get mine, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so my doctor had put me on like Tylenol 3s in the beginning for, I have uh, occult spina bifida and fibromyalgia Plus I'm diabetic and hypertensive. So she had me on those and I went into, I almost went into renal failure from the codeine. And uh, so she switched me to Percocet. And so, okay, fine. And then um, the relationship with my daughter's father dissolved. Um, he ended up taking all her money and running with it <laughs> right before she turned one. And then, uh, a few months later, uh, one of my friends took my prescription and my friend had given me hydromorphine. So I took them for a couple of weeks and then I realized I didn't know what withdrawal was. I didn't know what being dope sick meant and I was sick. <laughs> so kind of started buying pills on the street. I reached out to AFM for help. Um, they red flagged me, got me cut off my prescriptions. And uh, my doctor kind of threw her hands up. She was like, I can't help you. I'm gonna, I'll lose my license. Um, and then I just kind of fended for myself from there. Like, and <sighs> sad as it's to say, like when you buy pain medication on the streets, they're like really expensive. So then it switched to street drugs. So I ended up being addicted to meth, down or fentanyl, car fentanyl, heroin, and just kind of went that way. Then I became an IV drug user because it was, I thought it was, in my head it made sense. I thought it was cheaper. And um, I don't know how many times I've overdosed, to be honest. I've uh, had my kids apprehended. Um, I, well, actually, at a time when I wasn't using, <laughs> which is ironic. And because I had been doing party drugs like cocaine, mm -hmm when I was out with my friends and I, I knew like kind of my parents were kind of wondering what was going on. So I kind of stopped and then my girlfriend died. And um, a few months later, my kids were being apprehended and uh, I shook for a week and I'm like, they want to see a drug addict? <laughs> They're gonna get one. <laughs> it didn't work in my favor. No, definitely didn't. And so, um, so yeah, for the last almost two years, I. Which ironically, January 8th, the day I'm releasing my podcast, is the day that they were apprehended. 
so well two years ago <sighs> Chelsea I mean I, this sounds <laughs> so terrible it can't be true like at, at, at what point did you want to just throw your hands up and say enough is enough? Um, well, all the times I asked for help from like AFM, I tried to get a support worker like six weeks before my children were apprehended. I didn't get that. Um, I found myself at one point in my house. Um, I don't know how the gun got there, but, but I had a gun in my house with no bullets. And uh, I was holding it to my head like, I'm, that's it, I'm going to die. Like, and I, ended up getting, I got arrested for, for that and thrown in the hospital for the night. And uh, because they thought that I would go through with it. And so, um, yeah, like all these moments, like low moments, um, it wasn't enough. And then last year, last August, I went to treatment when I, after I dabbled in all these crazy, crazy drugs that uh, I can't even describe what withdrawal was like. It was the most awful thing I've ever experienced. Um, I came back and my partner at the time started fighting me. And so uh, last November, last November he started fighting me and I'd never been in an abusive relationship before like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in February he had hit me, choked me, suffocated me. And I didn't think anything was wrong. And so, like, with me, <laughs> with me, like, I knew I had gotten, like, roughed up. But um, in April, it's beginning of April, I started, my body just started to go wrong. Like, so sometimes I kind of stutter mm -hmm. and uh, now. Um, but um, three weeks leading up to finding out what was wrong, uh, my back went crooked. The second week I had a headache that just wouldn't stop and then the third week my arms started going numb and at the end of that week and I had tried to go three times to the hospital and they just kept turning me away because there's always that label mm -hmm. like drug addict drug seeking mm -hmm. and like I mean I'm, I wasn't I wasn't asking for drugs it was like help me and they're like no let's go home you know do what you're doing I think at one point they even said like if I'm buying like narcotics to keep buying them like that's yeah. the only help I was gonna get. So I'm like, okay. And um, I happened to black out and wake up on the floor of a Tim Hortons bathroom and with a goose egg on my head. And uh, everybody's like, you need to go to the hospital because it was like really big. <laughs> it was really big <laughs> and it like, was sticking out. And so I went just to appease my mother. Like I, I, I was just expecting to be sent home. And it just so happened there was a good doctor on that night. and. He was like, I'm going to scan your head. And then, so I was sleeping, or I kept sleeping. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up, he said, we're rushing you to Winnipeg because um, you have a bleed on your brain. And the neurologist said, like, it's serious and you need to go right now. And I'm like, okay. So they sent me to Health Science Center and they told me I had a hematoma on my brain that had been there for six weeks and it was going to burst and I was going to be brain dead or I was going to die. <laughs> so... And I almost didn't even go through this, the surgery because they said I needed brain surgery and um, I was scared to forget my kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, irrationally, I was like, I'm going to just be with them and then to die because I didn't want to not remember them the next day. And my friend, he had said to me, just go in there. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm like, 
you know? I'm like, yeah, if I know who you are tomorrow. And uh, we kind of laugh. He's like, no, seriously, we'll figure it out then. And so he convinced me to walk in that room, and thankfully it went. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually died a month ago. So we were in the hospital together for different oh. reasons. But, yeah, he convinced me to save my own life. And so um, the reason why I started this podcast was because it shouldn't be that hard to get help. No. For anybody. No. And just sitting here and, and, and hearing your story, I have just met you and I can't imagine, but we are going to continue this conversation, uh, Chelsea, because I have questions too on how strong an addiction can be mm-hmm. that makes you just go crazy and do things that you n- would never even dream of just to have that feeling, just to get that fixed. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the podcast and how... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are a lot, an awful lot of people out there that has the Chelsea story too, mm-hmm. and it's really, really sad. And we need to really, really—it's hard to fix people, but we need to talk about it first. And yeah. I think you're on the right step. So, people, don't go away. There's still more in this incredible conversation with Chelsea. We'll talk more about her podcast and how she is going to help, and she has made. A pledge that she will help. You're watching Hugh at Home. Welcome back to Hugh at Home. Once again, I'm with Chelsea Grove. And Chelsea, the first half, you told your story of everything that has happened to you mentally, physically. Uh, You do have a family. We're going to talk about your next steps on how you are sitting here as a beautiful woman with a great future ahead of you, Mm -hmm. which if you wrote this story any other way, probably it wouldn't be. But... I'm wondering now, like, with your children, what kind of life lessons do you hope to give them? Um, it's kind of interesting you ask that question. Like, my son's older, and, like, he's seen me in recovery. He's kind of grew up with me in recovery. And so when uh, my daughters followed me and were kind of hitting the rocks, he's telling me, Mom, you deserve better. And I'm like, wow, like, he's 12 and he knows this. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's sometimes more emotionally stable than I am some days. 
but um, we've had this talk because some of his friends are starting to use those drugs and I've taught him how to use naloxone and I, ha I told him it's not a matter of if your friends are going to overdose it's a matter of when and I said like you know when you think that that's something you want to try like I just need you to remember what happened to us like what happened to our family like I didn't know how to deal with what was going on with my life and it ultimately affected you and your sister and and I, I, and I wouldn't want him to feel that feeling like mm -hmm. or I don't want to repeat that feeling ever either and I really hope he doesn't ever have to save a life like I've revived people more than 200 times in the last year year and a half maybe and like thank god I knew CPR Mm -hmm. And it just it comes part and parcel with having that kind of lifestyle, right? And right. so, I luckily I was I did volunteer work with Harm Reduction Manitoba. I was there, my sliver of hope mm -hmm. coming out of this. Mm -hmm. um, I ran their satellite site in the Selkirk region, and uh, I'd take stats and that kind of stuff. So, um, I've been doing a lot of advocating work with them and the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. Mm -hmm. um, I was part of a con press conference on Monday with the Winnipeg. I was in, it was in the Winnipeg Free Press, um, an article on uh, the overdose poisoning crisis in the yes. city here. Yes. And so, I've done that. I've spoken at uh, overdose awareness, um, and I started this podcast because I yeah. figured that it'd be a good opportunity to have the conversation. I uh, was able to be a part of. Uh, study through indigenous health and healing mm -hmm. and so that lady she's going to come on my podcast too to cut it <laughs> perfect it kind of lines yeah. up with what i'm trying to do too and yes. it's more about letting people know they're not alone well i know um, and just talking about the power of addiction mm -hmm. and uh, the crazy things it does not only to your body but to your head which mm -hmm. is the biggest part part right the mental part of it for you, what was it like to get that high and, and to feel that way? For me, it was mostly about pain management, but mm -hmm. like in withdrawal, like you were willing to do anything, like anything you think you won't do, you'll do mm -hmm. to have money to get it. Mm -hmm. Like I've never felt anything so all encompassing and overpowering that like I'm willing to sell my things I'm willing to shoplift. I'm willing to do pretty much anything <laughs> to get the next high because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to have, it's like having the worst flu, your bones ache on the inside mm -hmm. and you just want the feeling to stop. And so it was all, basically it was a lot about just not getting that feeling. Just like yes. maintaining like yeah. some sort of normalcy Mm -hmm. and then not going into withdrawal and that's basically what the goal was every day was just not to go into withdrawal that okay. bad yeah that you're like willing to sell your soul so to speak mm -hmm. yeah okay so the podcast mm -hmm. love is truth or truth is love truth is love truth yes. is love oh, the whole I guess maybe the story about that the name of the podcast um I named it that basically the artwork on well, when you see the page there's a picture of a turtle with a feather on it it was a lighter case I beat it in 
when I went to treatment. And I was thinking about naming this and I was like, truth is love. Like truth is the loving thing to do. And me sitting here despite and standing in my truth despite everything like mm -hmm. whoever's gonna see this whoever's gonna comment on this like it's not your story it's mine mm -hmm. and this is what I had to do to get here today so yeah and I do have a few people that are gonna come and share their stories and I'm gonna do like a mini series of it's gonna be called our stories mm -hmm. and like a few of my friends they have some pretty traumatic stories too um, it's not my therapist called it. So she's like, it's not the trauma Olympics, <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> no. But sometimes it makes me grateful to know, so yeah. like some of those things didn't happen to me, yeah. but not to say the things that happened to me weren't as awful. Yes, and and that's true because you can't judge. Oh, yeah. that was my story was a lot worse than what you have gone through. Um, that that definitely is a no. Mm -hmm. What do you hope for Chelsea? I mean, not only for people to share their story, do you hope that you can share ideas? Can you know, because it's an ongoing battle, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no one cure and you're done. Yeah. Every day when you get up, right? It's, it is yes, a battle. Yes, it is a battle every day. Like, and uh, I want to provide resources for people. Um, I have the people like that are peer coordinators for like harm reduction coming on and the um, doing stuff with the CDPC. So like mm -hmm. the, how they're trying to like create safe spaces and like safe supply, access to naloxone for everybody. And uh, I just, if I can save one person or else like, you know, help them. That's really the whole point of this is like, mm -hmm. you can do it. If I can do it, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. But too, like I know that some people can't speak for themselves, but I'm able to do that. Mm -hmm. And like I would never want anybody to feel how I felt when I had door slammed in my face. And then I think of the people that have that experience and don't have that voice. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's not okay. And I'm kind of like, you know, tell the professionals that were like, no or like wouldn't listen to me when I was trying to ask for help. I'm like, I will be the thorn in your side, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because like, the only way to change things is to talk about them and really raise awareness around what's mm -hmm. really happening. Because if yeah. no one does anything, then nothing's gonna change. What is your opinion on um, safe places, so safe injection sites? I'm for them, mm -hmm. um, only because the people that die usually die alone. And if they have a safe place to go, there are people that will save their life. Like I was lucky in the sense that we took turns and I had someone there to revive me when I would go down and vice versa. And a lot of the people that I know that have died were died alone. And yes. so, yeah, I, I think that meeting people where they're at Mm -hmm. is the best thing anybody could do for anybody because if harm reduction in Manitoba wasn't so like giving me the dignity of person like you know choice you know I probably would never have come out of that mm -mm. no and and it boils down to just treating people as people as yeah. human beings giving them some respect some dignity mm -hmm. uh, and listening and I think with the podcast it's beautiful because 
you will listen and and you have the knowledge you know as you said as a as lived experience when will the podcast be launched january 8th 2023 is there a significance on january 8th like not january 1st or (laughs) well the first is significant to my son's birthday is that day actually Ah. but um, the 8th was the day that i lost my children and the reason why that's significant is because i wasn't using and i and then I was shook for a week and then I chose that life. And for whatever reason, good or bad, it's shaped me right now to be able to sit here and, and speak for those people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of rocky and it wasn't the greatest, but at the same time, like I have so much knowledge and I can, and I, uh, like I do advocate for the homeless people in my community. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, that's not how it was. And now that I'm not in the problem, people are listening now. And I have the education to back up what I'm trying to get across. Yes. Well, I mean, and congratulations. Um, but it is sad, right, when people do not listen, mm-hmm. when you are the most vulnerable and need help. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? There's advocates like yourself now that hopefully can shed some light and some hope onto this grave, grave epidemic that we're in with drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really, really, all of us need to do a concentrated effort. Can hardly wait for the podcast. Congratulations. We look forward to hearing stories and and hopefully help other people too along the way. And Mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining us today on You at Home Chelsea. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.